see you all here. It's uh, an exciting moment for me to, uh, to see faces, familiar faces, which I haven't uh, had the privilege of seeing on Sunday morning. Um, so I'm glad to, to gather with you all now, both online and also here in person. You know, the psalmist says in Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. What we have to understand is the unity that we dwell in is not because we're here in this room or because we're gathered online. It's not a unity around a certain method or a style of worship. It's a unity around a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And so it's such a joy that, that we can recognize the unity that we have in Christ is a unity we share with our brothers and sisters who are gathered for worship here in this room as well as our brothers and sisters who have gathered to worship the Lord online. And so uh, it is a joy to experience this moment, to be together and to worship the Lord. So let me pray as we open our time in worship. Father, we thank you for the unity that your son Jesus provides. Lord, this unity is not in, in, in how we might think about gathering to worship. It's not unity in term, terms of our own personal opinions. It's unity around Jesus Christ. It's unity in the person that asks of us to take up our cross and follow him. It's unity in the person that says we should die to ourselves so that we might live to Christ. And so, Lord, we celebrate that unity even now as we have gathered before you both online and in this room in person. We are your church, Lord. We are the family of God. We are your children, and we, we praise you and thank you for that. And we have come here this morning, whether it's our living rooms or in these pews, we, we come before you to call upon you, to find our strength to face the day from you, to be reminded of your grace and your mercy and your righteousness and justice and your, your love and your care. Lord, we, we will look to you. We will remain steadfast in you, and this time of worship is so important to that. So, Lord, we glorify you even now as we glorify you in song. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church. I've been saying that for months now, but nobody ever said anything back. Because we've seen how I run. and Well, actually, we haven't seen how I run. You don't want to see how I run. I, I can't run a lap. I can, be, I can ride a bike in a lap. I could do that if that's okay. <laughs> hey, uh, a few, few days ago, I, took, I attended a, a seminar on CPR uh, for youth football here in town, which still plans to move forward as I understand it. But regardless of the fact, one of the things we learned about in the class was this idea of what do you do when someone goes into shock, when someone's injured and they're in need of help? Well, one of the things I learned is you, you, you raise their, their feet about 12 inches, right, or, or somewhere in there. I'm looking at the nurses I know in the room and seeing heads nod, see if I remembered correctly from the class. Anyway, the point is this, that when someone is in shock, you, you, you try to help their blood kind of return to the, the center of their body where their heart is to help their body work through the, the shock, make sure that the blood is flowing to the different parts of their body. And as we, as we faced the disturbance that is this global pandemic that we faced this past year, uh, that we realized that the church, is, church has kind of gone into a bit of shock, right? That, that we faced this disturbance and it was not expected. It was shocking and difficult. And, and I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, it was painful. It was difficult. It was trying and, and really kind of created a bit of fear in us. But, but what we try to do and what I believe we have done as a church body faithfully is that we've, we've kind of said, okay, let's get back to the core. Let's, 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 let's get our bodies back in a healthy place where things are operating well. 
One of the ways that you all as a church family have faithfully done that is that you have continued to give to the work of the ministry of the gospel here at Trinity and in Fairfield County. And we've been able to do things through that giving to continue to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in a difficult time. But one of the things that we've had to do in in kind of focusing in on the core of the body is that there are other parts of the ministry we also now need to attend to. And one of those parts of the ministry that we need to be giving attention to is our faith promise. Many of you know that we have supported faithfully missionaries that have gone to the ends of the earth with the gospel message, that they are out there serving. In the midst of this pandemic, nothing has changed. They still have the same message to proclaim. They still have a heart and a passion to reach a people. And yet they are facing such significant challenges just as we have here in Fairfield, Connecticut. And so I want to remind you that Our faith promise here at Trinity is giving to the support of our missionaries throughout the world who continue to think creatively about how to overcome the challenges of serving the ministry in a time of global pandemic and reaching people who are lost and far away from Christ and drawing them near to him again. So if you have not been keeping up with your faith promise giving, can I just encourage you to prayerfully consider how God might be putting on your heart to, to, to support this ministry? We have been operating uh, in a deficit with our faith promise giving for a little while now, and so the GO team is working through that. But uh, we want you to know that this is still something we believe God has called us as part of his church to support, which is those ministries who are serving far and wide. One couple uh, that, is, uh, that, that is a couple we support is uh, Rick and Myla Berry, who are a part of the Thailand Initiative through Converge. And they are serving, they continue to serve faithfully in the midst of this pandemic. And so they made us a short video that we want to share with you now to give you a, a taste of what ministry has been like for them serving the pandemic. Hi there, this is Rick and Myla Berry, your missionaries in Asia. And we're happy to give you an update of what's going on in our family and our ministry. June is really a busy month for us because Aiden is finishing his school with the remote learning system and he's celebrating his birthday. Our two daughters, Kay and Cha, are still in the Philippines. And like us, they're also busy because they start preparing for the opening of classes uh, in this new normal situation. Our grandkids, Keith, Kyle and Kira are doing well despite the lockdown lockdown situation in the Philippines because um, there kids are not allowed to go out of the house so since this started they've been spending time inside the house but they're happy and they're making the most of their family time together. In July we're planning to go back and be with them hopefully that um, things will get easier for us in terms of transition back to the Philippines. Yeah, and please pray that those transitions go well. If we were to leave today, we would need to be quarantined in Manila for 14 days before we could actually get to our house. So we're really praying that by the middle or end of July, that requirement's gone. Philippines has really been hit hard with this COVID-19. Millions of people were straddling the poverty line to begin with. So without jobs, that means no salary, no rice. I get two or three requests a day for people that are requesting money just to eat. So please pray for our partnering churches and the churches we've planted in the Philippines, and really all churches in the Philippines, that they're able to meet the needs of of the people in their communities. Now in Thailand, the lockdown didn't affect them quite as much. People are back to work. 
but no international flights are allowed to land there now. That hasn't really disrupted us too much. We're partnering with Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, to plant churches. They've identified 40 church planters, and we're trusting God that we'll be able to plant 500 churches in the next decade. Our deaf ministry is going strong. Pastor Yun is doing a great job. Uh, we always need people to, to teach. I think that'll be online. So if anyone was interested to come over as a short-termer, don't buy a ticket yet. Uh, just let us know, and there are plenty of ways that you can still help. I hope that you'll follow us on Instagram, if you're an Instagram person, or on uh, www.thailandinitiative.org. That's our website. You can see all of our Thai partners and our converged missionaries. Another prayer request would be for when we arrive, that the church, well, the church is here, I guess, is really one of my, it's really been on my heart. Uh, this month I've been praying a lot in, in thinking about what, what I read about in the book of James, especially those first few verses about perseverance. And when you don't know what to pray for, pray for wisdom. Lots of things we don't know about, so we've been praying for wisdom quite a bit. Uh, but our supporting church is here. Please pray for them for the next year. As you know, it's been very difficult online, transitioning back, all the different regulations in, in the state of Connecticut and Massachusetts and where our supporting churches are. Uh, so our support has been a little bit iffy, but to combat that, uh, I'm asking 50 friends to commit to $50 a month for the next year. That'll build a buffer, and hopefully by then churches will be back, back to full strength. So we really appreciate all the support you've given us. Please keep in touch. We are honored to be your missionaries in Asia. As you may know, just real quickly to close that up, the, the faith promise giving here at Trinity is something where we have dedicated ourselves to, to bringing our money together to support a list of missionaries out in the field. And so uh, hopefully you will continue, how, uh, continue to consider how God has put that support on your heart and uh, lift before the Lord the berries as they continue to serve the Lord there in the Thailand but from the Philippines. This morning, as we will continue to look at uh, the Psalms together, I, I have a question for you. I want you to think about as you consider what it looks like to, to, to kind of face your day in the morning. So when you wake up in the morning, what's the posture you face your day with? Right? So, so when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thought? What's on your mind? What are you thinking about when you, when you focus on the day ahead? Are you one of those people when you see a glass that's got some liquid in it, is the glass half full or is it half empty? Are you optimistic or are you a pessimistic person? Are you someone who when you wake up in the morning and you think about the day ahead, do you kind of face the day with dread? Or is maybe there's some excitement? Maybe as you wake up in your morning, you're thinking, hey, I can't wait to, to do the things that God has in front of me today. What about this? Are you a thankful person? When you wake up in the morning, do you notice the richness and the blessing of, of having a heart of gratitude, of being a grateful and thankful person? 
See, I, I'm pretty sure uh, as I think about the world we live in today, as I think about my own life, I, I think we could all be, uh, use a little bit more gratitude in our lives. I think we could all be a bit more thankful. Now, this is purely my own observation, but, but I'm pretty sure when, when I look around, I see more, uh, more uh, anger, greater stubbornness, less patience, and that's just myself. That's just, that's just when I think about my own, my own world and facing the world. I'm feeling, and this is something I've been saying to the staff and the elders, I'm feeling very thin with all the changes and the disturbances that this world is going through. But the reality is it's not just me. Because I'd be lying if I said I didn't see that in the, the, the world around us. And, and, and I'm not saying necessarily you all. I'm saying our society as a whole, right? We could all use a little bit more gratitude to be living with as we face our day. The reason why is that gratitude actually does a beautiful thing in our lives. When, when we have the attention on the things that we are thankful for, our brains don't have the capacity to focus on the things that worry us or make us angry or bitter or, or, or frustrated with the things going on in the world around us. When our heart is trained to be grat- grateful and, and thankful, we have a greater outlook on our life. And, and not only from a spiritual co- component, but from a, a physical perspective as well. There are studies that have been done that say that gratitude has the opposite effect in our lives from stress, Right? I don't think that's a human uh, proclamation. I think that's how God designed us. I I think God designed us to live from this place of gratitude and thanksgiving. Now, uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at a psalm where the psalmist gives thanks for what's going on in his life and for what has happened. But let me caution you as we get into the word this morning that, that, that I don't want any of us going to this place of guilt and shame. I, I want to rebuke that part of your heart and mind that says, all right, here we go, pastor. You're going to tell me why I should be more thankful or more grateful, and I'm not there with you. I rebuke that part of our minds that goes there. I rebuke that part of our hearts that goes there. Because this is not a place where we should be making ourselves more thankful, but we should hear about how God has worked in another person's life and receive it as an invitation from God to live into that place of blessing, of gratitude with him. So, so I want to read for us, Just a handful of verses. Well, actually, it's like two handfuls of verses from Psalm 116. And as I do, I invite you to read along. You can read it on the screen. If you brought your Bibles, you can open your Bible to Psalm 116. If you have your phone open, you can open your Bible app or the Trinity app and find the Bible app within the Trinity app and follow along. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 for us. I encourage you to follow along as I read Psalm 116, verses 1 through 11. The psalmist says this. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars." 
Now, this is a psalm that as we listen to, you might think, well, this is telling us something about God. And it kind of is. It's telling us how one man has come to know and believe in God based on how he has recognized God's work in his life. This psalm is a testimony, an individual person's testimony of faith in the midst of trial, of understanding who God is, not because of how God has declared himself, but because of how he has experienced God showing up in his life when he's faced a difficult time, when he was in a place of anguish and suffering, when he was in a place of uh, tears and feeling the nearness of death. And so this testimony is a little bit of a personal journey that the psalmist takes us on. He, he starts working with this present status that he finds in himself, the, the place where he has found himself to be, and then he kind of looks backward on his life, looks back on the things from the past. He looks back on the way things were, and he notices something. He notices God. And in noticing God, it gives him the strength to look forward to what's to come in the future with faith. And so we start in the present. Verse 1, he says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Now, what I want to kind of help us see is that if we read this verse in the Hebrew, in the original language, this is how we would actually literally translate it. I love because the Lord has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Now, why would I be so concerned to let us hear how the Hebrew actually is written here? Well, because I don't think he's saying, hey, I can love because God has first loved me. He is saying that, but he's saying more than that. He's saying this is who I am. In other words, love is who he has become. It's his identity. It's who he's been transformed into. In the New Testament... John writes in his first letter, he says, uh, he says, we love because God first loved us. Yeah, John's talking about the fact we know how to love because God has shown us that love. But I think John's also saying there in a similar way, your identity is love because you were created in the image of love. So we can love, we can actually make this love in action and not just a feeling because our identity is wrapped up in being created as one who is love. Are you following me? Kind of seeing where I'm going with this? By the way, I I just heard an "Mm mm-hmm. That's the first time I've heard that in six months apart from one of our staff members who have been in the room. And it's such a beautiful feeling. What it means to be saved, what it means to be rescued and redeemed by God is not just forgiving us for our past sins, right? I mean, that's a a relief to hear that, though, right? Many of us deal with guilt or shame over not having done things the way we think we should have done things or or, or just not being enough. We we look within ourselves and we realize we're not as good as we think we should be, right? So it is a comfort to know that we've been saved from our past, that we've been forgiven for our past, but it's even more than that. To be rescued and redeemed by the Lord means that we've been transformed. There has been a metaphysical transformation of our identity from one thing to another. So we no longer have to pretend to be good. We no longer have to try to make other people see how good of a person we are. That's not the part that really matters. What matters is that deep down within our soul, 
We have been rescued from death because our Savior, Jesus Christ, has literally transformed us from one thing into love. It's kind of like this. We're not these rotten bananas. Here's my food analogy or illustration for all those who are waiting to see when I would start talking about food again. We're not these rotten bananas trying to pretend to be these ripe, fresh strawberries, right? No matter how hard a, a rotten banana may try, a rotten banana will never become that fresh, ripened strawberry. It will never be that sweet flavor of a strawberry in your mouth when you bite into it. And so as children of God, we're not these rotten, selfish, uh, mean people who are trying to pretend to be nice and good. We come to this realization, this recognition that who we are is actually someone different inside than, than what we are used to being. That, that a change has happened. We've been rescued and redeemed and transformed into a new creation. And so the psalmist's testimony begins from this place where he acknowledges this, where, where he has this firm grip on what his identity is. No matter how many times his mind tries to tell him, oh, you're not so good. Look, at you're losing control of your anger. That's such a selfish way to think. Or, or you're being too arrogant or whatever. No matter how many times his mind may tell him that, he comes to grip with the reality that he has been transformed in his inner being and his identity is now love. I love because God has heard my voice. So let me ask you something. Does this idea of love fit better uh, 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 as a description of what you do or who you are? Think about that for a moment. Does this description of love describe more of the actions you take or who you are as a human being, as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus? I don't think that's such a, I mean, I, it's a simple question in the sense that we all want to easily say, yeah, that's, that's a description of me. But does your mind grip and grasp and take hold of that truth that no matter what things you think you do wrong, your identity at the core as being a rescued and redeemed child of God is love? Does that resonate with you? Is that something you have a firm grip on? See, the reason the psalmist is giving this testimony today is that he, he's, he's recognizing that this metaphysical transformation has happened in his life, that he is, that he's love. But in order to see that love, in order to take hold of the, the transformation that's happened in his life, the way he gets there, the way he invites us to consider how he's gotten there is to look back on his life. To, to, to look back on the things that he's endured and, and to kind of show us, to, to, to put his finger on those moments where God has shown up, where God has rescued and redeemed him, where God has brought about that transformation in his life. Now, I don't think many of us enjoy looking back on our lives, or, or for those of us that do, it's only the good moments that we really enjoy looking back on, right? I, I think there's this place inside of us that hesitates to allow ourselves to look back on those moments that have been difficult or painful or those places of, uh, of guilt and shame that we experience. But there is a blessing in looking back on our lives. If, if I could encourage us, church, to consider something, that, that, that if we give time in our day to looking backward, to reflecting not just on what's happened in the past in our lives, but what's happening in our day, 
How does God shown up this past day in our life? If we develop the habit of noticing God, there is a blessing that comes about in being able to see God's hand at work in our lives. Listen to how the psalmist reflects in verses 3 through 8. He says, The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you've delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. See, the past that the psalmist recounts is not a pleasant one. The way he describes it, I mean, I don't know if we would necessarily describe our lives or our past or our our days like he would, but but the past that he describes is not a pleasant one. In fact, he talks about it being like death taking hold of him. Now, death, our understanding of death is a little bit different than how they understood death in the Old Testament, right? Death in our understanding is something that, that comes upon us and then, then it's behind us, right? I mean, then, then we're, we're either living in eternity with God or we're living eternally separated from God. But death, as they talk about it in the Old Testament, is this, this power, this entity that's at work in day-to-day lives that, 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 that you become aware of. That you don't necessarily have to be physically dying to be dealing with, uh, with death taking hold of you. So I remember a few years back when my heart went out of rhythm. I, I went into AFib, and, and when I did, it was a frightful moment. I, I had to go through all these tests with the cardiologist. I had to take medications. It, it was... It was frightful for me. I was scared. I was thinking, what's going on? I felt bad about myself. I'm like, what's going on with my health? It took them a while to figure it out. And, and in that moment, I resonate with that idea of death encompassing me. Why? Was I dying? No, I wasn't dying. But I was, I was coming to grips with the reality that this body is not going to last forever apart from Christ's return, Right? I was dealing with this idea that, 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 that what my life was maybe needed to change. And it, and it was this moment where I was, I was focused more on my fears and my concerns than I was on my faith in God. See, death had a hold of me, not because I was physically dying, but because it was consuming my thoughts that my health was not what it should have been. I was filled with fear, and it made me lose sight of where God was in the midst of this trial. See, one one scholar I read describes the Old Testament concept of death like this. He says, death's grip is felt in the midst of life to the degree that one feels the weakening of our personal vitality through illness or handicap or imprisonment or or, or attack from enemies or advancing old age. And I think about that. I think about how the psalmist thinks about his past, and I wonder, can you you resonate with that? Can, Can you remember a time in your life when you felt this way? I imagine there are a number of us who have gone through periods in our lives where we've been without a job and we've felt the the angst, the fear of not knowing where our next payment for food would come from or electricity or or whatever it would be. A number of us have felt death's grip on us through a time where we're deeply grieving the loss of a loved one and feeling that separation that death brings. 
We've, we've felt death's grip on us when we've come face to face with these deeply held and, and hidden shameful places in our lives where we realize we're not really as good as we like other people to think we are. I think that's a place where death's grip has a hold of us. Why? Because we're focused more on our our own sin and our own inability to, to be good than we are on God's ability to transform our identity into love. So it can be terrifying to reflect on these moments in our life, but, but in many ways, even though we'd never want to relive them again, when we, when we find a way to look back and remember these moments, we're blessed with seeing where God has shown up. When the psalmist looked back, he noticed, what does it say in verses 5 through, through 7? He noticed that God is gracious. He noticed the righteousness of God. He noticed that God is merciful. When we're looking around us wanting people to be merciful to us, what we can see is that when others don't show us mercy, God always will. Right? The, the psalmist looks back and he sees how God has been active in his life, preserving him, saving him, dealing bountifully with him. Right? When, we, when we take the time to look back, we notice that it was God alone all along who was able to save. God alone who can transform our lives. Now, I think in a similar way, when we look back on those difficult times in our lives, we can notice the, diff, the, the work of the gospel in our lives. We can see what God has done. We can, we can notice things we didn't notice when we were living through it. Right? We can notice God's nearness to us when we grieve the loss of a loved one. We can notice God's mercy toward us when we're on the other side of the trial and the tribulation. Take, for example, what, what, the, what the psalmist says in verse 8. Because what he says as he looks back and sees the gospel at work in his life, what, what he notices is something that gives him reason for thanksgiving gives him reason to focus on what he can be thankful for rather than on, what he, uh, on the, the pain that, that's being caused in his life. Verse 8, he says, For you've delivered my soul from death. He, he looks back on his trials, his tribulation, the hard times that he's facing, and he's able to see that it's God alone who has walked with him, delivered him, held him by the right hand, and never let go of him. He's able to see, I mean, you know, there's that poem, Footprints in the Sand, right, or something like that, and it's a popular poem, it's been around for a long time. The beauty of it is that this person looks back on their life, and they can see that God was with them. The the beauty of that poem is the beauty of this testimony, that we can look back on our lives, and we can recognize that God has been faithful to us all along, even in the midst of those most difficult places in our lives, and we can give thanks for that. See, the psalmist isn't celebrating rescue from some physical pain or or suffering. He's not celebrating the fact that God's given him some extension on life, although maybe God has. We don't know specifically here. What we do know is he's celebrating God's gracious acceptance back into the family of God. He's he's celebrating God's forgiveness in welcoming, welcoming him into the family of God. Notice what he says in verse 9. He says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Now, that may sound like a sentence that we just read in the psalm because that's how I read it, but, 
the reality is this is a firm declaration of faith. That this psalmist is saying, I know what my future inheritance will be. No matter what my current circumstances may say, I know what my future will be. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Now, I, I want to I let you in on a little secret that's not really a secret, but I think sometimes we don't realize this truth. And so it's a secret to some of us. When God looks at our lives, he doesn't wait for us to screw up so he can zap us with his, his, his holy hand of judgment. God loves us, and he's actually eager to welcome his children home. You know, I, I'm going to talk about the prodigal son again, because I think I've talked about it the last few weekends, and you may be tired of hearing me say it, but I don't care, because I love this story that Jesus tells. I love the story that Jesus tells, not only because of who he depicts of this younger son and the older son, but the, the picture of the father we're given here in the story of the prodigal son of Luke 15. See, what you need to understand is God is eager to wel welcome you home, just as the father was eager to welcome his son home in that story that Jesus tells in Luke 15. See, God rejoices over our acceptance of his salvation. He rejoices over the fact that we say, yes, God, I, I, I recognize that you alone can rescue me and redeem me, not just from my past, but you can, you, can, you can transform me into something new, into love. And you alone can do it. No amount of effort I make will be able to accomplish this, but you can, God. And in that moment, God rejoices. See, in the story of the prodigal son, after the son has rejected his father, taken his inheritance, in a sense kind of like spit in the father's face and walked away from him, he goes off, spends his, his inheritance on, fruitful, or on, on fruitless living, and, and he comes to this place where he's faced with the reality that, man, there's, there's nothing, nothing ahead of him. There's no future for him. He's, he's feeding pigs and longing for the food that they're eating, right? And so he decides to go back to the father. And, and listen to what happens when, when the younger son gets up and, and begins to go to the father. Because Jesus tells us in verse 20 of Luke 15, as the younger son arose and came to his father, right? He's going he's gonna to plead for his father's forgiveness. He's going to plead the, to be a servant in his father's house. But as he returns to his father, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. See, this is the reality. This, this picture that Jesus is painting in the, in the prodigal son story is the reality that the psalmist has come face to face with. That, that though he, he was ashamed of who he had been, though death's grip had a firm hold on him, the father was eager to welcome him home. The father wasn't off, you know, kind of getting on with the rest of his life and, and hoping that the son figures things out. The father was waiting for his son to come home. Where, where do you find him? You have him looking while he was still a long way off. The father sees him coming. He, he, he's looking for his son's return. He's looking for you and I to, to, to rely on, to put faith in, to trust that God alone can rescue us and redeem us. And not just forgive us from our past, but transform us into something new. And this reality is what the father has toward you and I and what the psalmist has come to realize. I say this because I want us to understand that when we look back upon our lives, I think what we'll see is the Father running to us with arms wide open to embrace us, 
to welcome us home. When we think about those places in our lives where we have walked away from the Lord, where we have strayed, and not completely, not pivoted our lives, but, but when we're living not as followers of Christ, but as, as people of this, uh, of this world who don't know that they've been rescued by a Savior, when we come back to him, you don't have to be afraid of it, but you can accept that he's going to welcome you with open arms. See, this, is, this bears the fruit of gratitude in the life of our psalmist. When we are able to notice that God has rescued us and redeemed us, just like this father has welcomed home his younger son, it bears the fruit of gratitude in our lives, and this gratitude does something. This gratitude shapes the psalmist's present moment and his outlook on his future as well. See, because he's taken the time to remember how God has been faithful to him in the past, to, to, to remember how God has been faithful to him in the past, he's able to look at his present circumstances and his future circumstances with a greater faith because he knows in whose hands he rests. Listen to what he says in verses 10 through 11. He says, I believed even when I spoke I'm greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm or my fear, all mankind are liars. See, his, his faith was present in his affliction. This is not something that he, that he, he comes to realize um, that he can have faith next time he faces a hard time. Or it's not something that like, oh, he's going into this affliction and the moment has passed for him to have faith in God. He has faith in his moment of affliction. His trust is in the Lord in his moment of fear. Our faith grows as we realize that God is active in our lives. And this psalmist's testimony, his focus on being grateful to God strengthens his faith, grows his faith in such a way that he's able to, to, to proclaim this gratitude that, and, and to proclaim his faith. I believed even when I was afflicted. You see, if you face affliction, it's not necessarily because you've done something wrong. Sometimes we, we choose to do things in this life and we have to deal with the consequences of that. But sometimes we face affliction and it's not because of something we've done, right? Sometimes we're, we're frightened and fearful and, it's not, and this is not some poor reflection on our faith. Sometimes we go through hard times. Sometimes we deal with fear. Sometimes we deal with pain and, and it's not God testing, okay, how strong or how faithful will Dan be? But it's an invitation to practice the faith which we proclaim. It's one thing for us to sit in our pews or on our couches and say, yeah, I believe in God, but then abandon that faith when affliction comes. Affliction can be something we face with joy and excitement and gratitude in a weird, sadistic sort of way. Why? Because it's a chance for us to express the faith which we believe in our hearts. See, the reality is that suffering is a present reality for us all in different ways. The question we need to ask ourselves is, will your faith in Jesus guide you through that suffering, right? Will thanksgiving characterize your posture for which you face your day? Will you say with the psalmist, I believed even when I was greatly afflicted? I think if we look back on our year, we would say that there are some great afflictions but my hope and my prayer for all of us, church, is that we would learn from the psalmist what it means to believe in the midst of our affliction 
And, and, and the, the great tool that God has created our bodies with, our brains with, which is to be transformed by gratitude, focusing on the things we have to be thankful for so that we can face their future affliction with a greater faith. The psalmist says at the end of, of Psalm 116, he says, O Lord, in, uh, sorry, in verse 16, O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call in the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. See, because of what this man recognizes, because of what the psalmist has acknowledged of God's faithful hand in his life in past affliction, he's able to face tomorrow with greater faith. And that faith is shaped by his gratitude. Gratitude helps him to remember what God has done and to, to firmly believe that God will do it again because it's who he is. See, I think looking back was an important thing for this psalmist. It led him to that stronger faith and greater gratitude. And it's what I long for each of us. So don't be afraid to look back on your circumstances. Don't, don't be afraid to look back on those moments that make you cringe in your life. Many of us look at 2020 as being a lost year, as being a, 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 a year just to write off and next year will be different, right? And that's, I'm, I'm simplifying it down a little bit, but but if we treat it as being a year that we write off, we miss out on so many opportunities to see how God has been at work in our lives, in our church, in our families, and in this world. We need to spend less time complaining about things not being the way we think they should be and focusing more on where God has shown up in the midst of these difficult times in our lives. We need to be prayerful about looking back over this year and really the whole of our lives and noticing how God has been at work in ways we didn't necessarily notice right away. And then we give thanks. So as disciples of Jesus, I really hope that we don't underestimate the power of thanksgiving and of gratitude. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus was thinking when he invited his disciples to to remember him, to remember his sacrifice through the celebration of the Lord's Supper. That, that when he instituted the Lord's Supper on that night that he was betrayed, he was instituting a moment where he said, I don't want you to forget this moment. This moment will be painful. You're going to want to write it off. You're going to want to forget it. But if you forget this moment, you forget the moment that I gave my life to rescue you and redeem you to transform your identity from one of being this rotten banana trying to pretend to be this fresh, ripe strawberry into being this beautiful fruit of love. You are love because God has rescued you and redeemed you. And it's that moment of the Lord's, celebrating the Lord's Supper that we're called to remember and to celebrate that Jesus instituted that night for us to, to take part in. And so we do that today. We, we approach the Lord's Supper as a moment to remember and celebrate and give thanks. It, it sometimes seems like a somber moment because it's this personal uh, moment where we are focusing on the Lord, but it is anything but somber. It's a celebration. It's a moment to remember that those moments that make me cringe in my past are written off because God has made me into something new. My identity is love because God is love, right? 
And so when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we, we do it with that in mind. We take this moment to remember that, that in uh, the way he modeled his broken body and his shed blood for our salvation is a moment to remember that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial, only God can make something so beautiful as new life. And so we remember that night giving thanks for his sacrifice, giving thanks for what he has done on our behalf. We're told that on that night, he gathered around the table with his disciples, a scene that we fully remember. And and we, we gather around a table ourselves to remember and be thankful, to allow our hearts and minds to be shaped by this gratitude of his sacrifice. And so we, we remember that moment when he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me whenever you eat of it. And so we eat this bread to remember and celebrate the goodness of God and our identity as love. In the same way, after the supper, he, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, right? in the shedding of my blood. What you need to know is that this is sometimes known as the cup of blessing. This is that, that cup that, that acknowledges our future inheritance, the, the blessing of God. It represents this newness of life, the, this transformation of our identity into love. And it came through Jesus' suffering. It came through a moment where, looking back, we remember this difficult time where Jesus died on the cross, but we are filled with gratitude because of how great and awesome he is and how greatly he loves us. And so we're reminded when Jesus lifted the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink of it, drink of it in remembrance of me. Father, I pray for the, 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 the gratitude in our hearts to grow. Plant that seed in our hearts like you've planted in the hearts of, uh, of the, the psalmist, Lord. Give us a, a clarity of the moments in our lives that we don't want to think about, but when we have the courage to look back and notice those moments where, where, where we have felt the, the, the grip of death around us, we would also notice the grip of God unhinging the fingers of death from around us and setting us free, transforming us into love. Lord, help your people to see that, to know who we are, not just that we can love, not just that we can pretend to live like Christians, but we truly are children of God because of what Jesus has done on our behalf on the cross. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for enduring the cross. Thank you for suffering so that we might be filled with the gratitude of salvation and redemption and being rescued. Lord, make us a people whose posture is 
characterized by thanksgiving and gratitude. And Lord, we give you all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Give me those verses that remind us of your promises that say you are near to the brokenhearted. You save those who are crushed in spirit. Lord, you will not leave us nor abandon us. May it fill us with such gratitude that, Lord, we, we bravely and courageously face every circumstance with faith. May your name give us reason to praise you. Amen. Before we close our time in worship this morning, I just want to uh, remind you of a few opportunities. One, today was our first actual opportunity to gather in this room to worship the Lord. And uh, what a fun time. I can actually not just hear that Evan said hi to me. I can actually say hi to Evan because Evan's in the room. Hi, Evan. <laughs> She's... Yeah, that's good. That's cool. I'll say hi to you after the service again. Uh, and uh, so if you are interested in joining us for worship, we have the next couple weeks online where you can sign up. It just helps us to make sure that we're, uh, we're being a good witness in our town. We're being good neighbors and following their guidance and asking that, they, that, that we kind of handle our gathering with wisdom and care for one another. And so if you are interested in joining us, go ahead. Go online. Sign up online. Let us know you're coming. And we'll be excited to welcome you to worship in person next Sunday morning. Also, I just want to remind you that if you uh, are giving online, that's fantastic. But if you uh, have a desire to give your check where you mail it into the church office, you could also do it by dropping it in one of the, the boxes we have in the back of the sanctuary. One, the generosity box as you walk out of the sanctuary. There's another one as you're walking toward the front door of the church. Uh, you can drop your offering in there and uh, trust that it will be used toward the ministry of the gospel here in Fairfield County and to the ends of the earth. Again, it's a joy to worship the Lord with you all, to see you in person and to gather with you online and, and to be united around Jesus Christ. What a special thing in the world that we live in to be reminded of that unity. But as we do, as we close our time, let me bless you with this and send you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. There's no hiding from your grace I can't deny